welcome everyone here this morning to our service. Should we open at 2.15?
Should we humble our hearts in a word of prayer? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful natural fall morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and fellowship around your word. We thank you that we can turn to you. We ask that your spirit would be in our midst this morning, that it would open this word, that it would open our hearts, that we could be refreshed, that we could be given faith to face each day. We ask that you would lead our nations, lead those who are in positions of leadership. We ask that you would turn their hearts to look to you for guidance. We ask that you would turn our hearts to look to you for guidance. We ask that you would be with those who are parents, grandparents, that you would give them the wisdom, the understanding to turn to you, and that we could walk and lead those little ones, that they could be given faith and see that it is important and that their hearts would be led to seek you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who's taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Should we continue with 226?
May we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I guess it's kind of a strange thing because I've been back for quite a while, but I haven't been here. There was people in Russia who sent greetings. Um ask that we would keep the Christians there in our prayers. I had a, an enjoyable trip for sure. For a text this morning, I, I guess in a way I didn't really struggle to find a text, but I struggled how to generally read a text and then and then um, look into it. The portion that I was read to or led to is actually in in Samuel, first Samuel it's three chapters twenty seven through thirty. But I guess I will read a portion found in the sixth chapter of John. I will read a few verses from the 27th to 29th verses. And I guess to me, and I pray that I would ask your prayers, the Spirit could open this, because it, I don't know that I can say that it explains what that David explains what this portion in John, but maybe it shows what not to do. David is the example. I will read here from the sixth chapter of John, reading in Jesus' name. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Amen. This is... I guess a portion of scripture that it seems that I find that I quote it quite often. I guess mainly because it seems that it it simplifies so much of what I think all our minds, maybe mine most, wants to complicate salvation. And what it is that we are to do as Christians. And we can read this portion. And we are encouraged to be obedient. This says that, and we can read in other places, in the Sermon on the Mount and that, where Jesus goes through quite a number of things. And I say if I break it down simply... He takes the basic necessities of life that we need to survive, food and drink, 
to mention a few clothing. And he says that we are to just leave those things with God. We are to seek the kingdom of God. We are to look that we would be a child of God and leave the rest with God. And trust him that he can deal with it. And I think that there is many, many ways as Christians that we struggle with that. And I think it comes down to a lot of it, if I say it this way, that we struggle to trust the power of the Spirit here in this world. We struggle sometimes to think we can look at someone else and not that we aren't to encourage people or if we see someone struggling with something that we would go and help them or that we would be an encouragement to them or even talk to them if there's a concern we have. But perhaps I say leave it there and allow the Spirit to work. We know our own hearts. I look at mine. And I see places in my life where the Spirit has worked. And it gives me to understand. I know my flesh. The Spirit can overcome this flesh. It can overcome anybody's. We can trust that it can accomplish what God sets it out to do. And we read this here where it says, this is the work of God, because the question is asked. And even in James it says, faith without works is dead. And we understand that as Christians, we want to have a living faith. Faith without works is dead. But Jesus here makes it pretty simple. The work of God is to believe on Christ. Believe that Christ accomplished all the work that needed to be done. And and I say this also. We live, and I believe we live in what we could call the Sabbath of time. And we need to be careful that we don't decide we need to do something to accomplish our salvation. And it doesn't mean that we just sit and, uh, if I say meditate, and the world carries on around us, or we just go about our natural job, and that's all there is to it, in one way. But doing, believing on Christ means that we believe what he said. And he lays out when he came here through his word the things that as Christians if I say we do. We live obedient to God. That is what Christ did. He came and walked obedient to the will of God. It is what we are to do. And yes, we struggle with it. 
We can get doing our own thing. God understands that. And He will. We provided Christ even for that reason because He knew that we would fail. I guess thinking in those terms, I read this portion here in 1 Samuel. And I will go through it. I won't read it because it's very lengthy, but we will look through it. And it it struck me here how David, and we know, I'm sure many of us, or all of us, are at least somewhat or maybe very familiar with the life of King David. He went from a shepherd boy to the king of Israel. He knew at a very young age that he was to be the king. It tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. And yet we can also read that in many places that he failed. And to me I find it encouraging, I guess. Not encouraging perhaps that he failed, but the fact that someone who is held up as someone that we would want to I guess, strive to walk as, failed also. I maybe mentioned it, and I'm sure we all know it. It is something that I find is very unique in the Bible, the stories, the accounts of the people in there. They were not perfect people. They failed we see that it isn't in walking in perfection. It's putting our faith in what Christ has accomplished for us. And when we do fail, turning to Him for forgiveness, for strength, trusting that that Spirit that I mentioned, it will speak to us. It will lead us and guide us. And yes, I will admit there's times that Well, let me say it this way. It speaks of that still, small voice that we are to listen to, and that is how it is. But I will admit that there are times that I sometimes wish that it would speak a little bit louder, and it does at times, I will admit that also. We know here at the beginning of the second 27th chapter of Samuel, Samuel says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in the coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. David had been told he was going to be king. He had went and he had been brought into the household of Saul. He led in the army, Saul became jealous, and he's going to kill David, and David has to flee into the wilderness, and he has to live there, and if we read the number of chapters before that, we see that David had several times when Saul tried actively to kill him, and David is given opportunity to kill Saul, And he doesn't. 
even his men encouraged him to. He says that he will leave it with God. It's God's anointed and it's not his place to kill him. And maybe this is just a side note, but to me it adds emphasis to David sparing the life of Saul. We can read about David in there. And he wasn't a man that was averse to killing. In fact, we read that God told him that he was not going to um, allow him to build the temple that David wanted to build because he was such a bloody and warring man. We see this power of the Spirit. David was listening to it. And he was walking, striving to walk as the Spirit would lead him. But then it comes to this place, and I find it interesting that it says, David said in his heart. As we get further into this, that we're looking into it, We'll come to a place where David turns and seeks and asks the priest for instruction as to what God would want him to do in the situation. We find that David failed to do that at this point. I think that if any or all of us are honest with ourselves, There are places and times in our life where we are like David. We decide, we look at the situation and we think, well, I think this is what I should do about it. And we look here and and I can even take it in my mind. It comes to me of thinking we are, there are times when we are, and we'll look at the Israelites. They were the children of God. And it is who we are as Christians. And there are times when there are struggles. It seems that we are constantly being bombarded with something or there is constantly some turmoil that we are dealing with in our life. And it seems like this is just too much of a problem that the best thing to do is just get out of this situation and go where there's some peace. It's just going to finish me. I can understand and relate with the reasoning that David uses here. My natural mind understands it completely. But we can turn also to the book of Isaiah, and I believe it's the 55th chapter, and it's God speaking, and he says these words, He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We understand, and and if we have walked as a Christian for very long, we come to realize very clearly that God's way of thinking and doing things is often very different from our own. We can reason things and and yes, we've been given brains and we are to use them. 
but we are also to use them to seek God's direction in life and in our walk, and especially when it comes to matters of faith. God knew where David was. He knew that Saul was chasing him around Israel, trying to kill him. God knew that it was, I'm sure, causing David grief. Because obviously it was, because it had brought him to the point where he decided he's just going to leave. I know there are situations that we face, and you can we can start to wonder that, does God really know where I'm at? Does he really understand what I'm struggling with, or how much I'm struggling with whatever it is? He does. And I don't know why it is. I look at it in the Bible, and there's this is one spot as we go through this, but there are other places where it seems like as people so often, just before God is going to change a situation around, we give up and decide we're going to do something on our own. If we read through this, we see that it's not very long in these chapters that God does get, take Saul. The Philistines kill him. And David is made king of Israel. But at this point, David decides on his own what he is going to do. And I think as Christians, it's easy to fall into that trap. But let us no matter how difficult the situation, trust that God knows. And no matter what our reasoning would encourage us or point us in doing, let us seek what God would want for us. And if it's that he would want us to continue dealing with it, let us do that. He will give patience if he tells us that he will pray for us. And he will. But David here, he, he leaves and he goes down into the land of the Philistines and they give him a place to live. And as far as someone trying to kill him, there is peace. If we look at it spiritually, we could say that David left what seemed to be turmoil in his mind and too much in going on, causing him conflict. And he went, if you say, into the world and found somewhere where there was rest. And we can do that. David goes there and he lives among the Philistines. And he he is living there, and he is at rest. We can go through many things here, and we see how Saul, God had turned his back on Saul. And I guess that is something that I would think it should give all of us pause to consider. 
we had two men, and they were the first two men that were the kings of Israel. They both failed. But Saul, God turned his back on him. David, God forgave him. And if we read through it, it can sometimes look a little bit difficult to see the difference. But I think there are two things that, for me anyway, point my, me to what the difference was. We see that Nathan came to David when he had fallen into sin with Bathsheba. And David says, I am the man, I have sinned. He acknowledged what he had done. Samuel comes to Saul when he had sinned. And Samuel gives excuses for what he had done. He shifted even some of the blame onto the people. And then he asks Samuel if he will sacrifice him with him, that he would look good in the eyes of the people. And we see a difference of heart. We see, or we think of the story of David with Bathsheba, and we could name a whole bunch of situations. He sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against her husband, he committed murder, he did all these things. And yet he was worried about what he had done to damage his relationship with God. Saul was worried about how he looked, about his image before the people. I think we find that in our human nature quite readily. We are worried about what we do, how it looks to other people. When what we need to be most concerned about is how do our actions look before God? How is what we're doing, how does God look on it? The Bible, Jesus speaking in it, tells it, he tells us that we're to worry about um, I don't know if I can turn to it. I should almost read it because I don't know that I can quote it. But he he says that we are not to first we are not to. Oh, here it is in Matthew. It says, "Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather he'll fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell." He's speaking of God. That is who we are to be concerned about. And that is who we are to worry that we are being obedient to. Saul here at this point, God has turned his back on him. And he had went so far as he had turned to this woman. She says she had a familiar spirit. I guess we could say maybe she was a witch. And it isn't that there wasn't power there. She had the power to bring up Samuel that he could speak to Saul. And I think even that it is good to take note of. There, God is, if I say, the most powerful. We understand that. But there is power in the evil. And it isn't something to be trifled with. 
It isn't something to be dabbled in a little bit. And we can look in the Word of God, we can look around us in life, and we see that the devil is very free with his power. And he is very happy to get people to use it because we know where he knows that it is going to accomplish not what God would want. It's going to bring people, turn them away from God. It isn't something to play with. The Philistines had gathered their armies and they were going to fight with Saul and David was going to go with them, but they didn't want him to. And then we get to the 30th chapter, and I guess in this chapter it brings to my mind, we see the results, and it obviously takes a period of time. But we see the results, both good, discouraging, if I say, and encouraging of what can happen if we, in our own reasoning, decide that we are going to do something. And not having faith, or listening to that still small voice, or making an effort to turn to it for direction and guidance. It tells us that David, they had given him this city of Ziklag to live in, and that's where there was him and about 600 men and their families, and they were living there. And they had went out to go with the Philistines, but then they were sent back home. And they come, and it says here they're coming to Ziklag, and it says, it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captive and that there were therein they slew not, either great nor small, but carried them away and went on their way. And so David and his men came to the city and behold it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken. We see that if we in our natural reasoning look to something outside of the kingdom of God to find somewhere where we can find peace and get away from what seems to be so troubling, it will eventually lead to problems. And here it says that their whole families, that everything was taken. And where they were was destroyed. The world doesn't care about our well-being. And I remember someone saying one time that we see the difference between how the devil works and how God works. The the devil will try to lead us into something that he would want us to do, just as God would do the same thing. But if we follow the leading of the devil, when we fall or when we fail... He just leaves us on our own. He's gone. And there we are to deal with our problem, if you say. God will stand with us. And even at that point, if we turn to him, he will come and help us and encourage us. 
as we see here, David had went on his own reasoning, and it had caused him problems. And it had come to the place both his wives were gone, and it says David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his son and for his daughters. For David, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And to me, to read that, I would pray that I and all of us, if we come to this place where we, in our own reasoning, got, if you say, off track or got down a road and it's brought devastation, that we would not give up. Even if the people who were with him said that they were speaking of stoning him. David didn't try to give them a pep talk. He didn't try to do anything except turn to God. He encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. It says, And David said to Abathar the priest, Abimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord. Here's that spot I was speaking of earlier when I was saying that David in his mind decided to do this. David inquires of God here. He turns to God for encouragement. He turns to God for direction. And we see another thing that David had the ability to do here that all of us have also. He asked Abathar, the priest, for his help. The Bible tells us we can turn to Revelations where it says, because of what Christ has done, as Christians, we are all priests and kings. We can turn to one another for encouragement, for direction. We can ask people to, at the very least, pray for us. If we are struggling with something, we can sit down with our fellow brother or sister in faith. It says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. It is where we can find and inquire of God for encouragement, for guidance. David asks, Shall I pursue them? God tells him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. It's an amazing thing. God doesn't say, Well, you failed. You kind of went and did your own thing, so now... Yeah, you can go there and we'll get you back some of some place to where you were. He tells them, you will recover all. So, so David went and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Besor. For those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued and he and 400 men for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. 
Can we see how it is at times? There are some times where we feel too weak to carry on. And sometimes we have to leave that with others. David allowed those men to stay there. And as we get to the end, we see that the reward was the same. And some of these men that went with David and attacked the Malachites, they didn't want to give those people who had been too weary to carry on those 200 anything more than just the bare minimum of their families. David says, no, we will split this evenly. And I think it is something to remember. It is how it is. We are not to judge someone because they are perhaps weak or they are struggling and, and cannot go out, if we say, to battle. They need to rest. It is how it is at times with all of us. We all have those times. And it isn't all of a sudden then we don't deserve any reward. God doesn't deal in fair. God has just blessed us with what Christ has accomplished for us. It doesn't matter if we're walking in strength or if we're sitting because we're feeling weak. It is still ours. The reward is still ours. All of it. It said, they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him some bread. And he did eat and they made him drink water. They find this Egyptian as they're going along. And I think that it is something, and it gives us, maybe it it brings to my mind the portion of where it tells us that we're to be willing to share the gospel in season and out of season. David is pursuing these men, and yes, as we read this, we see that the Egyptian understood where he could find them. It is how it is in the world. The world knows how the world works. And there are times we're going along and and we're going perhaps to a specific destination, a specific goal, and we run across someone. David takes the time for this man. He feeds him. He promises that he won't turn him back to his master. We never know in our walk when we're going to run across someone who's in need of that gospel message that needs to be reassured that we will not turn them back over to their former master, which if we say is the devil. That we will give them this spiritual food and we will care for them and bring them along with us. Why? It says he was sick and he'd been left there without anything for three days. He he was weak. There are so many of those type of people in this world. 
And it doesn't matter where we are or what our goal is in our mind. If we run across someone who is asking for that, I believe we should be as David and take the time to share that message. Give them that spiritual sustenance. This man, he tells them that, yeah, he can show them where they can find what they're looking for. It reminds me of a story, and maybe I've shared this before, and, and most I found humor in it because we see how natural reasoning works. But this was a, ten years ago or more when we were in Russia again. And we were with this fellow, and I don't remember, it's been long enough, I don't remember exactly how it came about, but he was not a Christian man, but his mother was, but we were staying at his place. And they were setting up services. And he said, he had said, well, he would, would have liked to help, but then he said he didn't know any people who would want, you know, who were good enough to come to church, is I think how it sort of worded it. Well then, in a couple of days, time passed, and I don't know what clicked in his mind or how it came to him, that it wasn't necessarily that we were looking for just good people to encourage the services, that the word of God was for anybody, that God, Christ came to save sinners. And he had come and told Brian, he, he said, and we were leaving at this point, and he said it, and I found it humorous the way he worded it. He said, oh, I didn't realize that you were looking for sinners for these. He said, if I had known that, he said, I know lots of them. And it was interesting how natural mind works. They think, oh, well, someone has to become good enough on their own, and then God will help them. It isn't how God works. He says, come as you are. He came to us when we were sinners. We're still sinners. And we're simply saved by the grace of God. David takes time for this Egyptian. I pray that we would do that also. David goes down. They find these Amalekites. And they had had a bunch of spoils from their raid. It says, And David smote them from twilight even to the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men which rode upon camels and fled. We don't, it doesn't tell us how many men there were there. But it says that David killed most of them, except there was 400 that were, if I say, um, young, active men, and they were able to get away. But if we look back, we see that David only had 400 men. He started out with 600, and 200 of them were too weak to carry on. And yet, they won the battle. I think many times we can get the feeling that we are such a small number that what's out there 
can overwhelm us or could overwhelm us. God does not deal in numbers. On either side of the equation, he takes the time to speak to one person. Here we see it in this Egyptian. We can see of Christ speaking to the woman by the well. God doesn't need a hundred people to come before he's going to come there and bring the gospel message. He is willing to bring it to one heart. And he doesn't care if there's a multitude of people who are contrary to him. He can still give strength to overcome. It says in this 18th verse here in this 30th chapter, it said, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoiled, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. We can... In our own reasoning and in our own strength and in our own ideas, we can get ourselves in situations where it seems like (coughs) it is all gone, that the enemy has destroyed and stole everything from us. I would pray that we could be as David here and be encouraged in God, seek for his direction. Because as it says here, he recovered all. And if I put it down to very simple terms, maybe just for myself, I don't know. But we can do something in our own reasoning and get off track and we understand very clearly that that peace is gone. That peace of a good conscience with God. We have failed. We have sinned. And it is gone completely. It's been destroyed by the devil. Let us turn to God. Let us turn and trust in what Christ has done and believe that what his blood covers our sin. Because the Bible tells us so. And we have experienced so. We can hear that those things are forgiven in the name and blood of Christ. We can believe that. It isn't that we became a perfect person when we became a Christian. We are perfect through what Christ has done. We can trust that. We can believe in him. And that, for us many times, is the most difficult work that we can do. Because we see our human nature. We see our failings. We see our frailties. In spite of that, Christ came for us. In spite of that, he gives us strength to carry on. In spite of that, even when we fail, we can turn to him. We can be encouraged. We can turn to each other for comfort and direction. Encouragement. David recovered all. 
they go back, and I already mentioned this, but they come to those 200 who were too weak to carry on. And there were those who said that <coughs> they shouldn't give them anything. David says, no, everyone deserves the reward. Just because we feel too weak to carry on with the battle doesn't mean that what Christ has accomplished for us isn't ours. It is. That reward is ours, not by our strength, but by our faith in what was accomplished for us. At the end of this chapter, David does an interesting thing. It said, And when David came to Ziklag, he, spent, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judea, and it names a whole bunch of these different people that David sent this spoil to. Parts of it. And I believe, for me, it brings to my mind that portion found in the end of Malachi, and I've spoke on it, where it's speaking about that we are to bring our tithes to God. And I believe in the New Testament, and spiritually speaking, those tithes are, if I say, the growth in our life, in our faith. The spoils of how God has given us victory as he did here for David. David shares that with, says the elders of Judah, I believe what it's telling us is we are to share with one another our travel. How God has worked in our life. How God has dealt with us. How God has corrected us. How he has encouraged us. How he has picked us up even when we failed. We are to share these things with one another. To encourage. God sits... God says there in Malachi that if we do that, he will bless us to overflowing. And we see that. I hope we have all experienced that, where we have spoken to someone and they've shared something of what is going on in their life, how God has encouraged them, how God has dealt with them. And it has given us faith and strength even in our own walk to trust. I don't know why it is, but sometimes it's easier to trust in God for someone else than for ourselves. Or maybe it's just me, I don't know. But I can see other people and they say they're struggling with something and it's like, don't even worry about it, God will handle it. And then it comes to myself and it's like, I don't know if he will. Let us share with each other that we could be encouraged. God wants us to do that. It is a blessing that we have of Christian fellowship. It is part of the many blessings that God has given us here in this life. He knows what we need. He knows where we're at. He wants us to look to him. To believe, as it said there in that portion that I read, the work that we are to do is to believe in Christ. Simply, that is what we are to do.
And when we believe in Christ, yes, he leads us and guides us in places where sometimes we struggle or don't really want to go. Even if, as David here, if he looked at that situation with his natural mind, he would very quickly see that they've got way more of an army than I have. This is going to be just another defeat on top of what I've already suffered. But if we look to Christ, victory is already accomplished, and especially us living when we do. Victory is already accomplished. The devil, in spite of how busy he is, has lost already. May God give us faith each and every day that he gives us to walk here in this life, to look to him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we humble our hearts and receive the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Shall we close with 435?